The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Away we go. It's another episode of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. The editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney, joined by my deputy editor, John Dixon. It is Thursday, May 14th. How you doing, John? I'm good. I've noticed that uh, during this period of social isolation, I almost always have a song stuck in my head. What's today's? Uh, today, it's uh, Burning Bridges by the Mike Curb Congregation. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say better than the song that doesn't end by Lamb Chopper, Rose. We wouldn't be able to do a podcast <laughs> for you, thirty somethings. You might know what that is for you. For you, what is the next after millennials? It probably won't. So there you go. Dating myself to begin this show. So now that I'm depressed, let's get into what Sammy Watkins believes by Bleacher Report magazine. It was an article that has been all of the talk this week in NFL circles, in chief circles. It was by Tyler Dunn. We actually were able to speak in a really good conversation to Tyler on this podcast. That's coming up in segment two. But John, this is the talk of the town. Uh, Travis Kelsey, Frank Clark, and Taco Charlton were able to join the Kansas City media yesterday. We'll be covering them throughout this podcast. But Kelsey was asked about Sammy Watkins and this article in that media availability on Wednesday. Everyone really enjoys uh, each other's company. You know, we didn't have too much, uh, you know, tension between players on this team, you know, and if it was, it was always competitive and on the field and in, you know, in between the lines. uh, Outside of it, in the locker room, everyone loves each other. Everyone has fun. And that's what made the the entire course of the season uh, such a blast in, uh, in, in accomplishing what we did. It was because we did it while we were enjoying you know, coming to work every single day. Um, with that being said, I mean, you never know what a guy is really going through, you know, because a lot of guys come in and they flip the switch and now it's business. It's football. It's, 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 it's let me leave what's going on in my life outside of this office so that I can take care of my family. I'm not doing anything that I shouldn't be doing. Not saying that that's Sammy's situation by any means. Um, because obviously Sammy has a very unique situation at hand. And, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to say, you know, how, how everybody was feeling um, throughout, throughout the ups and downs of last year to this year. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy that, that Sammy feels comfortable enough to be able to, 
to give his perspective on a big platform, knowing how, I don't want to say how quiet the guy is, but he's not very, you know, vocal in terms of how he's feeling or, or what he's doing. It's just who he is, you know, and that's, it's, it's all love. But, um, you know, I just feel, I'm just, I'm glad that he feels comfortable enough to be able to release something that's been on his mind for, for what seems like a few years now. So there you have it. Travis Kelsey saying the right thing there. I think there were parts of this article where Sammy is saying he wants to be such a big part of the Chiefs that if he isn't, it'll be World War III. He, at parts in this, said during the Titans game, he was so upset he caught himself manifesting in his own mind uh, a loss. So Kelsey, throwing some support behind his teammate, John, what did you make of this? My reaction? It looks like we're going to find ourselves another bridge. And where are we going to come up with another bridge? There you go. More negative waves. Have a little faith, baby. Why don't you dig how beautiful it is out here? Why don't you say something righteous and hopeful for a change? Crap. <laughs> the redoubtable Donald Sutherland playing oddball in the uh, 1970s World War II comedy any, Kelly's Heroes. Any reason for being upset that I was dating myself with Lamb Chop, <laughs> I now feel a lot better. Well, that's where so that song you. comes from, is from Kelly's Heroes. No, I, I, that's what crossed my mind while I was reading that article. And for actually a pretty good reason. Oddball was played for laughs in that movie because he was basically a 1970s hippie that had been transported into 1944 France in World War II commanding a tank. And every time he would say these weird things like are highlighted in that clip, the, the other soldiers around him would shake their heads and go, what a nutball, and you know that kind of thing. And that's probably what Chiefs players are doing about Sammy Watkins. But here's the thing. Oddball was weird. Everybody knew he was weird, but he was also a very effective tank commander. He understood that he was using inferior equipment against superior German tanks, so he knew he had to have the tactics down in order to defeat them on the battlefield, and as shown in the battle scenes in that film, he clearly does. Well, it's the same with Watkins. You know, he has this he exists on this additional ethereal plane where he's got all this stuff going on in his head and we don't necessarily understand it. It seems weird to us, but he's still able to make Richard Sherman leave his jockstrap on the field in the Super Bowl. Right. And that's all we care about. So I'm not really bothered by it. I mean, you know, people are different. They have their own ways of figuring out how to deal with what is a very strange world that we live in. And this is Sammy's. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. And the NFL is so product driven, sometimes in a bad way where a marginal player can do something minor when it comes to crime or something that gets out in their cut. And a much more talented player can get into a lot more trouble and then still be around and still get opportunity after opportunity. Talking about maybe a wide receiver in Oakland and supposedly Buffalo and Pittsburgh that continues to get chances in the NFL despite being a lunatic when it comes to his helmet and his family and his TikTok. And you know who I'm talking about if you're a fan of the NFL. So you're right. I think that, yes, this was... A little weird if you if you read the article, and I, I encourage you to do so on Bleacher Report. 
what Sammy Watkins believes, you're going to come away and say, this is a lot different than we thought. And to an extent, in Kansas City, we knew that already. There's a reason that he's endearingly nicknamed the Lizard King. It's because some of the tweets and some of the things we, we know he believes. I remember talking to Chris Conley when he was still here before Jacksonville and saying, we have some deep talks about the universe at training camp. So this was always something I think that we were peering in and saw a little bit of the light. And this article just, again, and you'll hear me talk to Ty Dunn in the next segment in detail about this. This really opened up what was this hole. And now we can see this sunlight of what Sammy Watkins believes. And yeah, it can be a little bit jarring, but I think it actually is nice to know a little bit further into who this person, who Watkins the man is, because there were some things that he was going through at the beginning of of his career that a lot of people wouldn't have been able to get through in life in general. And he was able to persist and, and got through it. Again, more on this article, more on Dunn's conversation with Watkins, where he learned a lot about him coming up in the next segment. Glad that he was able to join us. Plus, more from Travis Kelsey later. We have some takeaways from that media availability yesterday in this final segment of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Want to move on to another topic. It's the Pro Football Focus's Decade 101 I don't know how this is different from their all-decade team. It seems like they're tapping into whatever they can. And we, as people who run a football website, are doing a little bit of the same. So I can't say I blame them all that much. But here were the Chiefs that made it. And there were other Chiefs that made it, like Rodney Hudson and Darrell Rivas. But these were the Chiefs Chiefs that made the list. Eric Berry at 101, Mitch Schwartz at 100, Jamal Charles at 86, Tamba Ali at 78, Tyron Matthew at 66, Derek Johnson at 60, Travis Kelsey at 50, and Justin Houston at 46, the 101 for the decade from Pro Football Focus. Any any thoughts on that, John? Well, there's been a lot of conversation about it, uh, obviously. You know, I think my take, my initial take is, what do we got, nine players on this list out of 101 on a team that really wasn't all that great in the 2010s? That's pretty impressive. And you could make a case here, I think, for Patrick Mahomes, even though he had two years at the end. Those were two really good years. The success he had in two years, there were a lot of quarterbacks in the league that didn't have over 10 years in the decade that, that were playing there, and he didn't even make this list. And I would have expected Mahomes to be in the second or third tier just because of the shortness of his time in that decade. But I think it's a pretty good list. I don't think it's I don't think it's a mistake to have Justin Houston and Travis Kelsey at the top of it. Derek Johnson certainly was a dominant player in that decade. Uh, Tyron Matthew coming on the way up. I think all things considered, it's a pretty fair look at what the Chiefs team was in that decade. If you want the top five, I'll give it to you. Number five, Rob Gronkowski. Number four, Richard Sherman. Number three, Drew Brees. Number two, Aaron Donald. And number one, Tom Brady. I don't think that... Yeah, uh, surprise. I don't think that had any question to it with all the Super Bowls and success. So there you have it. Luckily, the list was 101 because had it not been, a Chief and Eric Berry would not have made it. I think this is where, where I'm surprised. If you said, okay, Pete, give me the top 10 Chiefs of the last decade, I would have listed probably a similar list. I don't know if I'd have Justin Houston as the top Chief of the past decade. That just doesn't seem correct. 
Well, he he was a dominant performer in the middle of the decade. He certainly he certainly was always an effective player. He wasn't a, a dominant performer year in and year out, but I think you can make the argument that Houston was always an effective player when he was on the field. I think you have three Hall of Famers or potential Hall of Famers on this list, and to me, that's Kelsey, Tyron Matthew, and Mitch Schwartz. I don't think anyone else on this list makes the Hall of Fame. And I think if I'm doing this list, Kelsey edges Houston because Houston to me had one elite, elite year where Kelsey just year after year, it doesn't matter how old he is. Right. He's the top tight end in the league. I don't know how Houston gets the nod. Again, I'm not watching the, the tape. I'm not in the bunkers with all these PFF guys. So who knows yeah. if I know what I'm talking about? Well, and of course, it's biased by their, by their grading system, which there's a lot of arguing about whether that's valid or not. But that's, of course, a big chunk of what this is, is that they're looking at the, the way those, the grades, those players grade out. I personally would have Kelsey a lot closer to Gronkowski. You know, the idea that Gronkowski is in the top five for that decade and Kelsey is number 50 seems a little off to me. But that's the, you know, that's the nature of having a grading system. Not everybody's going to agree with it. It's also a new decade as well. And Gronkowski's back in the league. We'll see how that, that goes in this next decade. Some news from New Orleans Saints beat writer Nick Underhill. And I'll quote the tweet. On a call with donors to Louisiana Lafayette Athletic Foundation... Jeff Ireland, who is the assistant GM of the Saints, said that the Saints had pretty strong intel that Miami and Kansas City would take Cesar Ruiz, who was at center for Michigan. They initially looked to trade back, but called it off once they learned about other interests. So the Saints were sitting there at 24. You had the Dolphins sitting there at 30, and then the Chiefs at 32. So New Orleans wanted more picks, but they felt like they had to to take their man because the Chiefs would have taken him. That changes the narrative a little bit when it comes to Clyde because we were looking at Clyde as this was the guy that Brett Veach, like Kevin Costner in draft day, woke up and said, <laughs> we're taking this guy. CEH no matter what. That's right. <laughs> and apparently wasn't the case. I think in an ideal scenario, as this information begins to leak through, what the Chiefs maybe would have liked is to take Ruiz at 32. You get your offensive lineman to pair with Mahomes in the future. You maybe trade up in the second round if you start to get a little bit wishy-washy on Clyde, who, who they probably still wanted if they're taking him at 32. So maybe right. they're looking to get him in the second round. Gay maybe continues to fall because of the problems we've noted on this podcast channel. When you get Ruiz, maybe you don't end up taking the Yang. This goes back to our, our last podcast. It's the what if of the NFL. If the Saints don't take this guy, he's probably a chief, and who knows if Clyde is even wearing the red and gold. Right. Well, I think this, uh, this comment kind of uh, violates a, a, a unwritten rule of general managers. You don't let that kind of information out. Right. You know, if you're a GM and you pick the third guy that you wanted in the, in the first round, you don't want anybody to know that. You don't want... Because you, you're, you're going to be out there saying, oh, yeah, this is the guy we wanted. Absolutely. This is the guy we wanted. And you don't want it to come out later that, oh, yeah, we actually wanted to get somebody else and another team step in front of us. 
because you're making these public pronouncements about this player that you thought was the guy. And anybody that you're going to pick in the first round fits that category. You're not lying. You know, if you take a guy in the 32nd pick and you had four different guys that you were looking at that you thought would be available, any one of those guys you could reasonably say was your guy in the first round. So you don't want some other GM out there throwing out some piece of information that that messes up that narrative. So if I'm Brett Veach, the next time I'm negotiating with the New Orleans Saints, I'm going to want just a little bit more <laughs> in whatever it is I'm negotiating for you. Oh, oh, a seventh round? No, how about a sixth round? <laughs> some thought that the Chiefs traded up in front of the Saints because they had interest in Patrick Mahomes. And so you remember that, and they, mm-hmm. they didn't end yeah. up taking... Watson and forgetting the players, a defensive back, I believe that they ended up taking Lattimore. Maybe it was Lattimore. That may be right. Yeah. That they end up taking after Mahomes. And so Herbie Teope, now with the Kansas City Star, he actually was on the Saints beat for a few years. He speculated yesterday that that was the case, that maybe there was a little bit back and forth here. The Chiefs took our guy in 2017. We're going to take their guy in 2020. Again, a quarterback is a little bit different than an offensive lineman. Sorry to New Orleans Saints. But yeah, you see that playful back and forth, I think, sometimes. And this might have been an example of that. And John, as you noted, in this draft speculation, I'll share a story, and I'm not going to name names, but there was a a case where Eric Bieniemy, in a preview on the franchise, said something to the extent of, we thought that this player should be... Chad Ochocinco. I'm looking at Chad Ochocinco, right? And so I ask him a question at the next press conference and saying, hey, why did you think McCole Hardman could be in profile as Chad Ochocinco? In the next episode, that line was never broadcasted because as I later found out after poking around a little bit, he wasn't talking about McCole Hardman. So to your point, John, there are these things that that people really don't want released because in the draft, you could really like a player that you never get and you have to take the next best thing and you never want the player to realize that. Right. And you also don't want uh, other teams to know that you would have interest if they became available later. We see this all the time with Brett Veach and I'm sure with other GMs as well that he'll take a player and then he'll say afterward in free agency, you know, we or make a trade with another team. And when the player's on their second or third year and they're not working out with that team, think Reggie Ragland, for example. <laughs> right. And afterwards, Veach will say, oh yeah, we really liked this guy coming out. So you don't want to let other teams know what you were thinking during the draft because it might be strategic information later. I am going to, from today on, make a point of it to not fall for GM speak anymore. I'm not going to stand for it. I'm going to try to try to <laughs> sniff it out. That. <laughs> and in my follow-up say, really, Brett? Really? Did you really like Clyde? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll be we watching st- that with interest. <laughs> <laughs> we still have no news on three fronts. And in this town, to me, that's news. And that is on Chris Jones, Patrick Mahomes, and Bashad Breeland. Let's start with Chris Jones. And this is relevant for today because Frank Clark was asked, has he talked to Jones in recent weeks? Not, not, not too much. I mean, me and Chris, we talk about football, but we really don't talk about the money part of, you know what I mean? So, and that's really what's going on right now. You know, just keep it real. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he's going through that 
I can imagine what he's going through and I can kind of pinpoint it because I just went through it a few years, you know, what a year ago. So I can understand what he's going through. I can understand the frustrations. I can understand the ups and the down, you know, and the one thing that I told him to, and the best advice I gave him was, um, just keeping his eyes off the media and his off of the thing that's on the internet because it's going to be something different every day and just staying focused on, you know, his everyday and his normal. Because if he gets out of that, that's, that, that's when, you know, things are going to get weird. That's what I did for, I probably let myself drift off into the media and start reading like, oh, what they're going to say or who's going to say this or who's saying I shouldn't get this or whatever. But then eventually it just got to me like, man, I just need to not focus on that. And next thing I know, I was getting calls left and right to what I wanted to do and what offers was coming in. So, and that's really the best advice I gave Chris. Um, you know, it's hard. You know, it's a hard time because, you know, he wants to handle this stuff and wants to, you know, get a deal done. But he's, you know, right now I'm on the franchise tag. And, you know, I just want to be able to have my teammate, man. That's my dog. Frank Clark tapping into that Sammy Watkins of theorizing, okay, I need to get these good vibes going and something <laughs> will happen here. He also, if you noticed, told the media that he, his advice was not to listen to the media. <laughs> So, uh, some good advice from Frank Clark yesterday. Good that they're talking and good that they're communicating as teammates. I think Chris Jones wants to see this resolved sooner rather than later. I think that's tough because as I've continued to push out, and this is just my belief on it, I don't think he sees a contract extension until next year after he plays a year on the franchise tag. Right. And uh, if that happens, uh, as I briefly mentioned the last time we spoke on Tuesday, that's a good outcome for the Chiefs. They get right. a really good player and get him at minimum cost throughout his uh, entire career. Obviously, they would like to keep him or else we wouldn't be in this situation today. But it's not as if uh, if they're unable to make a deal with him that that's going to be a terrible outcome for the Chiefs. They've gotten a, a really good player for a number of years at minimum cost. My theory on this whole Jones and Mahomes thing is I, I think the Chiefs need the Jones chip to fall, whatever it's going to be, before they turn their attention to this mega contract because they just sure. want to make sure that we're okay here for 2020. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nick Jacobs said about $6 million is available right now to sign these picks. So I think the Chiefs are making sure, okay, let's get 2020 settled and then we'll work on the biggest contract in NFL history. And then no news, John, on Bashad Breland. And we maybe expected the Chiefs to do something here. We maybe expected to hear something from the NFL. Seems like he's going to be on the Chiefs. And I think that's a good thing. Now let's see how many games he's suspended by the NFL. Let's see if there's an appeal. Again, I'm, I'm thinking around two-ish. Yeah. Or maybe it's you know, five or six and it gets appealed down to, to somewhere between two and four. And right. the Chiefs just have to deal without a cornerback, I think, for the beginning of the season. Right, and I think they've got the capability to do that. You know, the, the, they had injuries to deal with, and they managed to get through it fine. Even at the end of the season, during the championship run, they had injuries in the secondary, and they figured it out. So I think they'll figure it out, because uh, that's what they have to do. Coming up next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Bleacher Report's Ty Dunn, a nice, long conversation diving into this Sammy Watkins article that has captivated the NFL world. Stay with us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, and it's a pleasure to be joined by Ty Dunn, Bleacher Report, who put out that fantastic profile on Sammy Watkins that was released earlier this week. It is the talk of the NFL, sort of the talk of the sports world right now, given there's really no other games, but... The article is fabulous in its own right. So, Ty, I want to ask you 
first of all, has this just become Ty Dunn season for you? I feel like last year around this time was the Green Bay Packers article that, that caught the eye of the NFL world. I don't know. I mean, I appreciate the intro. It's very nice of you to say all, all that great stuff. But uh, I, I love the off season, man. It's um, a time where life just kind of slows down, right? I mean, I, I crank out features like during the season, but in the off season, I feel like players, or coaches, scouts, whoever you want to talk to in this business, they've got more time on their hands. I mean, they can really sit down and and dig a little deeper into their lives, into their stories to tell more so than maybe during the season when it's a little more helter-skelter. So uh, love, love the off-season at BR. I'm at a place that fortunately allows me to just go to Florida, grab dinner with Sammy Watkins, and, and talk for five hours. Yeah, I've always admired some of the pieces that you've been able to create because it's one thing like an Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport to get snippets that are texted to you, but it's another thing like yourself, like a Seth Wickersham that comes to mind for weeks or months at a time to sort of piece things together and, and figure out what's going on and, and really publish something almost in, in almost a short story, small books length that really matters. And I think that's what we saw with this Sammy Watkins profile. You mentioned that you went down to Florida to speak with them. If you could just paint a picture, I'm going to cast a wide net here of what that experience was like and what you learned. Yeah, this is a relationship that kind of goes back to his Buffalo days. So um, grew up in the area here, live about 20, 20 minutes, 30 minutes south of Buffalo. So covered Sammy Watkins in 2015 at the Buffalo News. Met then, kept in touch to LA. We did a story with him out there uh, when he was, you know, just starting to kind of turn turn the page. I had no idea at the time how deep it really went. And then seeing him at Super Bowl week in Miami, he just was in a place mentally, I think, where it was time to open up and, and really let folks know how bad it was in Buffalo. He, he kind of hinted at the rubble. He hinted at how bad things were with Sean McDermott, how bad things were with maybe some of the substance abuse, drinking way more than he should have, and that leading to those injuries. But no way did I expect that when we connect uh, just outside of Orlando, we'd be sitting there at the, the Big Easy restaurant and talking about etheric bodies and astral realms and you know whether or not you can come back to life as a as a dinosaur or a horse or your son. So I, I think we just kind of fed off each other's energy, honestly. I mean, that, he's a very, he's an energy oriented person, if that makes any sense. I mean, he really believes that these entities are floating all about. They're inside of us. The good ones you have to recognize and roll with the bad ones. You deflect and just somehow feed off that positivity, feed off that optimism. So it was just a matter of riding along on his stream of consciousness, really, and, and seeing where it went. And it went a lot of different directions. So hopefully folks are able to, to buckle in and kind of keep up. What's interesting is we've seen small glimpses of some of these thoughts from Sammy Watkins on the beat in Kansas City. It's almost if you're knocking in a, in a data mine and you sort of just hit it and all the gold rushed out. Like we have examples in Kansas City where he tweets about being a lizard king. A lot of fans will now call him, hey, there's the lizard king. It's kind of become this endearing nickname for him because of some of those tweets where he's saying he's coming back as certain entities. You, you touched upon the Buffalo stuff. Did you have any inkling that it got that dark as you were covering him there and, and that relationship that you guys were building? I knew it was dark in the football sense. Because, yeah. I mean, the first time that we ever met, the first time we ever talked was in the corner of the locker room, just two, three games into the 2015 season, his second NFL season. And he's demanding the ball 10 times a game. 
He's ripping the coaches. He's ripping the front office. He's saying he's going to get his agent involved, saying that things need to change because the team's making themselves bad. They're making him look bad. Um, I think it was very surprising for him to see that on a screen that night. I, he actually tweeted at me to grow up, which was kind of funny. We, we had a laugh about that down in, uh, down in Florida. He said, hey, actually, that was the one time I had some joy in my life. I was getting the ball because it worked. <laughs> he started force-feeding him the ball, and he took off a little bit. So, but I kind of knew at the, at the time, at least football-wise, he was unhappy to see an Odell Beckham Jr. becoming a celebrity. You got Mike Evans, Devontae Adams, so many receivers in that draft, and, and he was just suffering all these injuries. And I don't think he really knew it at the time, but it was it was self-inflicted. It was all the drinking, all the partying, the smoking. He was just destroying his own body um, on his own volition, really. And, and I think he needed to get out of that place some way, somehow. What I didn't know was – all the family stuff he was going through. The fact that his brother, Jari McMiller, is involved in a huge racketeering case. Right. Is literally getting pulled down by the feds to go back to Florida. Sam is paying a million dollars just to bail him out, paying for the lawyer fees. Oh, by the way, it's still going on. Trial's set to start in June. Uh, I, I had no idea I went that deep with his roots and where he was from and how bad it was and how everybody looks to Sammy Watkins as that beacon of hope back in Fort Myers. I think a lot of us from the outside looking in, you see a player's getting in the mix with the alcohol and stuff. And you, you sometimes will judge a little too quickly because you don't know what truly is going on in their lives. And I think that was a key part for you to sort of expose in a good way and saying, well, here's what he was going through and here's why he ended up this way. I mean, I'm, I've been reading some of the blogs. The Bills fans are, are not the happiest people in the world right now. And I think you can understand that side of it too. This is a Chiefs podcast, though. I do want to get to some of the Chiefs parts of it. What surprised me about your article is I do get to talk to Sammy Watkins sort of on a weekly basis. He doesn't speak every week, but I would say you know you end up talking to him between 8 and 10, 8 and 12 times by the end of the season. And at least this year, it seemed like he had really embraced that role player role behind a Travis Kelsey, behind a Tyree kill. And then when I read your piece and I said, was he just kind of saying that to make everyone a little bit more satisfied in the locker room? The, the impression that I got, at least from reading your pieces, this is still a player that desires to be to some extent in the spotlight. Just wondering your opinion on that and, and how he feels about the Chiefs. I do think that he was a good soldier. You know, in talking to Sammy Watkins several times and talking to, to teammates, receivers, guys that he's kind of fighting fighting the ball for the ball with. Uh, I think that in the moment, he he genuinely was, you know, a great teammate. I think right. he, as he put it, was the one talking to younger teammates and, and trying to help them understand selflessness and the fact that it's about team. And, you know, he, he did kind of take a back step from that Jacksonville game, obviously exploded on through into the playoffs. I mean, that two and a half month span, he was, what, a third or fourth option? He just wasn't really getting the ball. I think that at least in terms of team chemistry, he wasn't an issue at all. He wasn't a distraction at all, which speaks to the brilliance of Andy Reid. I mean, Andy Reid is talking to him in one-on-one -on -one settings about his role, right. the fact that his time is going to come and to hang in there, hang in there. And Sammy believed, and lo and behold, there he is, the hero of the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. But I, I think there absolutely is that part in him that desires to be a number one. 100% that desires to get the ball. And in a sense, he still is that player that wants his 10 targets a game. He wants his. He believes he should be on that marquee next to Tyreek Hill, next to Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, I think even after the fact, after he realized, well, maybe I, I did take it a little too far 
at dinner with the darkness and, and thinking people are out to, to get him and being maybe a little too paranoid that there, there always is a little nugget of truth. And I do think that Sammy Watkins wants the ball more. He yeah. wants a bigger role, but I think the place that it comes from is to win. I, I don't, that makes any sense. Even in Buffalo, right. when he kind of went off on all that, it, it was to win. I mean, he really believed it was for the, it was for the team. And let's not forget the chiefs. They were six and four, that Titans loss in the middle of the season that they weren't necessarily the best team in the NFL at that point. And right. that's really when Sammy Watkins frustration was at its worst, and his, in his words, he quote-unquote manifested a loss. He was that upset. It was almost like he wanted <laughs> them to lose, and his superpowers just got away from him. So, yeah, he was upset. He was angry. He wants the ball. I don't think it's necessarily going to be in a destructive way, though. I think right. his intentions are good and wholesome. He wants what's best for the team, and I think his relationship with Andy Reid is so dang strong that it won't be a problem because – that's his favorite coach of all time. Andy Reid looks after Sammy Watkins as much as any other player. I mean, he's calling him at 11 o'clock at night. He's bringing him into his office. They're talking all the time. I guess that's my long rambling way to put it that, yeah, yes, he wants the ball. No, I don't think it's going to be a problem in 2020. It's not unsurprising to me, those words about Andy Reid. I've covered him for now since 14, so that's six years. And players just love this guy. And I think a lot has to do with that family atmosphere. And he never throws anyone under the bus, always takes the blame for losses. And to your point and Sammy's point, it's easier to be happy. Everyone's happy when you're winning, even if you're not receiving the ball a ton. And so when things start to unravel a little bit, you're, you're near 500 and so on, you're, you're going to start to, I think, have that frustration. Your article, it was framed in a sense, it almost felt like it was, and I'm sure you guys talked before he decided to come back. So you had that mentality of Sam before he had figured it out with the Chiefs. When the Chiefs decide to bring him back and they're able to come to this agreement on the restructure, how did you react to that? Because when I read the article, I feel like you must have left the conversation feeling, I don't know what he's going to do. And here he is back with Kansas City. You just nailed it. I mean, I remember, well, I'm driving back from the restaurant back to my hotel. And, and first of all, I'm a little paranoid because there's these, you know, cars that are coming up from behind me. And I, we just had this like discussion that went into fourth and fifth and sixth dimensions and about, you know, Bob Dylan maybe being possessed by Satan. I, I mean, I brought that up. He said, no, you, you know, you can't sell your soul to the devil. Right. Uh, but I'm thinking a Bob Dylan song came on. I'm like, what is going on here? Where am I? So, you know, I, once I got my mind kind of right and settled down, I was like, yeah, is he going to be back with the Chiefs? I mean, he said he wanted to be back because, you know, he loves Andy Reid and he just won a Super Bowl and there's a lot of good. But then he talked about the bad as much as he did and things that, he, that needed to change. Uh, I didn't think he was going to be back with the Chiefs after that. I thought that they would find a way to trade him, find somewhere else for him to go to be a number one, to be a a go-to weapon as he desires and, and deliver on the eight seasons, two Super Bowls, one gold jacket that he repeated multiple times. But I think just time helped. I think that the fact that he wasn't this free agent and he wouldn't just rush into a decision helped. And I think a conversation with Andy Reid helped. He talked at length with Reid over the phone. Um, I didn't really get into the specifics with, with Sammy, but he said it was one heck of a phone conversation and, and he wanted to be back. He, he, want, he doesn't want to be that player who just, runs away from a problem and, and think that the grass is always greener on the other side, which is maybe the way he thought in the past, but he wants to make it work in Kansas City with his teammates. As we're talking here and 
the last dance has become so prevalent. I keep mentioning it on the podcast here because it's the only thing we really have going right now. This year really does feel like the last dance when it comes to Watkins and the Chiefs. I, I get the sense that he's going to try to give it one more go, get one of those Super Bowls, as, as you were alluding to, and then maybe move on. Who knows? I, I know that's pure speculation, but just from reading your article and just the feeling that I get, I, I think that's where this thing is headed. He's under contract for one more year and then can really truly go wherever he pleases. You read the details of this, and to say Watkins is a deep thinker is almost understating it. You're, you're sitting there with him for five hours. Do you, in your own right, start to believe some of these wild things that he's saying? I, I was wondering that as I'm reading it, because when you get that deep into a conversation, I imagine these things become more and more believable as you go on. Yes. <laughs> I want Sammy Watkins. He can make you believe. He's made some teammates believe. I mean, there were several moments early on when he's talking about, you know, being reincarnated and coming back to life as a horse and the fact that I'm dying while I'm sitting there and we die in our sleep. And I was pretty skeptical. And then we kept talking more and more and more and more. And I guess the point that kind of really hit me is when he's trying to keep, I mean, he knows what everybody's thinking. He knows that everybody's going to, was going to read this and think, that he's just crazy, that he's ridiculous. Right. I mean, Sammy, you're the weirdest player ever. He said, I, I don't care what people think. That's fine. But if anybody has had an out-of-body experience, he said, they can relate to him. Um, and so that that's the point that kind of hit me, man. Like, I can remember a high school basketball game, getting my head busted open, getting stitches in it. I don't know if I can see a scar. It's up there somewhere. And uh, coming back into the game, and the rest of that fourth quarter, it just felt like an out-of-body experience. I, I couldn't really describe it at the time. It was really weird. And so I brought that up to, to Sammy when we're talking about the song. That's when he said, right there, that out-of-body feeling of being outside of yourself, I'm controlling from the outside, I can make myself feel like that all the time. And he brought up the Jacksonville game, how he was making the Jaguar defenders kind of like freeze in place, and he was able to do whatever the heck he wanted. So, yeah, to answer your question, go ahead. Call me nuts, too, because I, I could see it. I could feel it. And I think maybe anybody else – who's maybe been in a car accident or, or, you know, whenever you might feel that out of body experience just for a split second, he can feel like that all the time in his words. Yeah. I just want to say for the listeners, the thing that you're referencing, again, you could read this wonderful article on Bleacher Report is the fact that he, he felt like he told one of the Jacksonville defenders, no stop. And, and he just froze in place to some, I, I would love to go back in the film and figure out, okay, be that film junkie, which which player are they talking about? Forget about like Baldi's breakdowns. This is Pete's supernatural breakdowns here. But I think I found it, but I didn't want to say the player's <laughs> name just by the odd chance that it wasn't him. But I, I think I found the play. But well, I, now that I know that, I mean, you can only have a couple catches in the game, even though he had that great game. I might have to just go do it myself, and and we'll yeah. leave that uh, to to the listeners to do as well. I, I looked at this interview, and, and you're right. I, I did start questioning his mental space a little bit. I think that's a natural thing to do. I, I wonder your take on, on where he is mentally. Because as odd as this sounds, and as crazy as some of the things that you wrote and found out, it, it feels like he's all right, which is almost backwards to, to think. It feels backwards to think that. I, I'm, I'm glad you said it exactly that way. I mean, because that is, it's genuinely the case. I really believe it. Like he, and just granted, I, I'm not around him every day, every week, every month. I, I've had conversations with him in that season in Buffalo when he was with the Rams. 
and multiple times in Kansas City. And just remembering like where he was at each place, whether it was in Buffalo, you know, after his best friend on the team was cut, I mean, he just shut himself out. He didn't really get to know teammates. He didn't open up to teammates. They had no clue what he was going through. The Rams, he was just starting to open up. That was right after his awakening when he kind of absorbed all this information, was intoxicated on the information, but he wasn't really where he is now in Kansas City where he could pull a McCole Hardman over into the corner of the Chiefs locker room and a Felton Davis and, and talk about teleportation and the fact that he's seen a spaceship. And he, yeah, he's an alien. So I think he's in a... It sounds crazy when you put it on a page and people read it, like, what, what is Sammy Watkins thinking? But I can tell you, like, sitting down with him as long as, as I did over dinner, he is in a fantastic place spiritually, mentally, insists he could never be depressed again, in his words. He, he doesn't think that's even possible with, you know, be, kind of becoming more of a family man with getting a street name, possibly named after him back in his hometown, winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, he's upset, but, you know, I think that's natural. That's human, but he, that he is, has gotten to the other side out of this it remains to be seen. But I, I really think that the worst, most of the worst is behind him. And, and this is the kind of stuff that we all face in everyday life. You know, maybe somebody has a drinking problem. Maybe somebody has a traumatic experience. Maybe somebody has, you know, a, a brother that goes to jail or dies, but his yeah. stuff all happened at once, right? When everybody anointed him as the savior in Buffalo and he couldn't handle it. Um, he's not going to have that avalanche just kind of descend upon his life in Kansas city. So, and if he does, if anything happens, I think he generally knows how to consciously deal with it. I think the money quote, and you said it a few times, eight more seasons, two Super Bowls, one gold jacket. This is what Sammy sees truly for himself. You'd mentioned in the article, he predicted correctly his 114 yards that he was able to get in the Super Bowl. You buying or selling the eight, two, and one? <laughs> Man, you're putting me on the spot with that one. I'm not about to uh, to bet against Sammy Watkins and the uh, intergalactic forces in which he can uh, wield upon me. So, yes, eight seasons, four <laughs> Super Bowls, one gold jacket, and he's going to do it right there in Kansas City. All right, his name is Ty Dunn. You could catch his fantastic work at Bleach Report. If you haven't read this article, I beg and plead with you to do. There's things in it that we didn't even touch upon here that you can only get from reading it. Ty, I think we'll probably talk to you around this time next year. It seems like every year or so you're due for one of these national articles that really captivate the NFL fans by storm. Oh, man. Hey, really appreciate it. Anytime. Love, love doing this. He is Bleacher Report's Ty Dunn. When we come back, we'll dive more into the sound of Frank Clark, Taco Charlton, Travis Kelsey, the things that you need to know from yesterday's Media Veil. That's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, and you. We're talking about Frank Clark, Taco Charlton, and Travis Kelsey. These were the players made available to the media on yesterday's Zoom conference call, which now we've grown accustomed to uh, seeing players. <laughs> and yesterday, I won't play the sound for you, but Frank Clark, there were several interruptions where he had to speak to his daughter at one point. He had to put some lotion on his hands at one point. At one point, the call dropped. So Zoom, a little bit more comfortable for some players rather than others. But I was able to get a question out to Frank Clark. As soon as the Chiefs signed Taco Charlton, Clark took to social media. And this was important to me because 
Clark is a guy who in the offseason has liked to shut things off. He wants a mental break, which is really smart, in my opinion. Yeah. But he made a point of it. As soon as the Chiefs signed his former college teammate from Michigan in Charlton, he went online and said, I'm going to make this guy into a legend. So I said, why was that important for you to get that out there? I feel like a lot of, a lot of people are doubting Taco, you know, and, um, you know, for the first part of his career, I feel like, you know, it hasn't been to the stand. I'm sure that he will want it to be. And, um, you know, he's had his, had some great highlights and he's done some good things in this league, but, uh, he, he has yet to done what I know he wants to do. And, uh, me and him being close friends, you know, we have a lot of talks and we talk about a lot of things and, um, been, been my, been my bro since Michigan days, you know, um, I spend a significant amount of time with him there. Um, you know, actually, I call myself a leader. You know what I mean? Um, everything I've done as far as, you know, at Michigan, I've made a lot of mistakes. But uh, on that football field, I did my share of leader, um, you know, leading those guys. And, um, you know, one thing I did in that position room is, um, you know, kind of change the way the position was being played, the rush in. And Taco follows suit. He listens and he does great things. So uh, I'm just excited, man. I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Like I said, um, you know, uh, like I said, I, I want to turn him into a legend. Uh, First, you know, just showing them my work ethic, um, you know, showing them how we do things with the Chiefs, you know. Um, it's a certain standard, you know, that and Coach Reed, you know, he has us, you know, amounting to. Um, there's certain things that you got to be able to live up to here. You know, of course, we, we champs, we defend our, you know, our ring, and we go be, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be some standards you're going to have to live up to coming in that room, man. And here's Taco on joining Kansas City. It was a place I was uh, looking forward to coming and leaving to come out. Right, uh, right off waivers. So once I cleared and me and Frank was on the phone, we were talking. And um, like I said, it really, that's why nothing really uh, else mattered to me. Uh, Money-wise, nothing really mattered. I just uh, wanted to play football. I wanted to go to a good situation where I could play some good football. And, uh, and I feel like I, I could add myself to a good defense. From Frank Clark's words, it really feels like this is going to be a tough love situation where – he really wants to see Taco succeed. And if there are problems, like maybe you saw with the Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins and Frank Clark, who is the clear leader of that room now, along with Chris Jones, maybe they're co-leaders, but they're not going to put up with, I think, less than 150%. Right. I noticed how Frank talked about how Taco listens. And that's not what you would expect to hear about a player who has been unable to make it on two NFL teams in three years coming out of the first round of the draft. Right. That would be one of the things you'd be worried about is whether he was coachable, whether he could listen to others. Now, what Frank might actually be saying is that he will listen to him. <laughs> and so, you know, that puts it all on Frank Clark. And, uh, and that maybe is where it needs to be. I think as a second point here... I've been around Brendan Daly. We get to talk to Brendan Daly every couple of weeks. This guy is not going to put up with non-communication. This guy is not going to put up with less than maximum effort. And I think it's different if you're a player that comes into a situation where it's a bad team. Where Now look at the Cleveland Browns for a couple of years there where they were downright embarrassing and you had a lot of these other players coming in and, and joining. And I think when a player joins a situation like that, who has been somewhere that's, that's been more successful, they say, well, they're not doing this the right way. It's impossible to say about Kansas City. If you can't succeed here in this system with some of the better leaders in the NFL, I think, and, and Tyron and 
and Clark, who they they lead in different ways, but they just expect you to to perform, and there's almost no excuses. And I think you heard that in, in Clark's tone. And we'll see if if Taco can finally. I think this will be one of the final chances of his career. If it doesn't work in Kansas City, maybe you get one more look, but I doubt it. So he needs to perform here. You're looking at maybe the the end of the NFL road, I think, for Taco. And sometimes players play best when a they get to the end of the road here, and b it it becomes a contract year because the Dolphins didn't want to enact that that fifth year. And so here you have an opportunity to make some money in the free agent market. And as our friend Therese Paler has coined, the contract year is undefeated. Let's see if it remains undefeated uh, with Taco Charlton. I want to move on to Travis Kelsey. Uh, Kelsey was asked about how the quarantine has impacted how he feels about the the Chiefs Super Bowl win. I think uh, for the most part, it's still been pretty surreal. I think the quarantine has made it almost like it was a dream uh, because we haven't been able to go out and see all our family members and, uh, and visit everyone like we, uh, like we, I don't know, I guess we would if, uh, if it wasn't like this. But all in all, uh, the, the, biggest, the biggest thing is that it's very motivating. It's motivating to be able to do it again. Um, I've already got the competitive mindset to, to, to gear up and, uh, and start this thing all over again. Uh, recreate to help recreate this team, this uh, this team's identity, and um, and moving forward, you know, we're just excited because we got a lot of the pieces coming back. You feel a little bit, I think, for the Kansas City Chiefs, and for me, really, Kansas City as a whole, because this mm-hmm. would have been a spring and summer that just had Chiefs buzz, where you could kind of have a longer not that not that Kansas City didn't celebrate in that initial win, but the Super Bowl win, you really should be able to get to relish that for an entire offseason where not only Travis Kelsey can't go and celebrate with his brother and his family members, but I just think all of the city can't celebrate with each other and, and be able to talk in a bar with your friends, man. Right. Remember right. when we were watching this game and and it almost feels like, of course, when the Chiefs are finally good, we can't even get out and out and about to actually talk about this. And, and so I, I think that that is something that all fans right now included can relate to. Right. And I think that Kelsey is essentially saying, you know, we have to do it again just so we can have that moment. Right. Because we, we have, we've been cheated out of it as players and the fans have been cheated out of it, and that should give us additional motivation to uh, not be complacent. Uh, complacency is the worst thing you can have at this stage when you're a championship team. And he's saying, we don't have that because we know that we've got to go out and do it again because we were in this particular circumstance that was beyond our control. So I, I really liked what he had to say about that. As I was getting ready for this media availability yesterday, I was trying to think of how we could reference this time period and, and what's going on. And the Chiefs have this virtual offseason where they can't get on the field to install plays. And it hit me. I, was, I said to myself, well, Kelsey, he had this situation last year when he was recovering from mm-hmm. yeah. that offseason ankle cleanup. He wasn't able to partake in offseason activities. So I wondered, well, how did he approach that? And given that he had 1,200 yards of production again last year, how necessary is being on the field? Last year, I didn't get the opportunity to be involved on the field. So I was still getting the mental um, snaps of, of what we were installing, how we were going to run things. 
And knowing knowing Coach Reed, he um he knew that I was in those meetings, so he installed the plays that were really designed for myself. He did he installed them in the offseason to give me time to get these mental reps and see how other guys are running them and give me a better uh, understanding of how I should run them. So it's just, it's, I didn't get the work in, but mentally, I didn't get the physical work in because I was doing the rehab and everything for my ankle, but mentally I, I'm, I'm always engaged in it. And I think I really learned that uh, my rookie year, my rookie year when I, I had the knee surgery, um, I stuck around. I didn't go, I didn't just jump ship and, and leave and do rehab and then get out of the building in the mornings. I stuck around and wanted to hear these installs, wanted to hear how Coach Reed was teaching these plays, how Coach Biedemi wanted the, the plays to, you know, wanted the run game to work, uh, how Coach Andy Heck wanted us to block and, and, and identify defensive schemes. And all that helped me with the mentality of, all right, start mentally with these things and then you can get out on the field and work physically. And, uh, and I've had that mentality through every offseason. You know, it's, it's a mental grind, but you got to know what you're doing before you can go out there and perform it. A lot of people might forget that Travis Kelsey lost his entire rookie year pretty much to what was surgery. And some people were saying, is he ever even going to be able to make any impact at all? And you see what happened after that. He became the number two to Anthony Fasano and then de- developed into his own. And here we are. But he has the experience down last year in particular, his rookie year in particular, where if you can't get on the field, you got to put extra emphasis on the mental side of it. You know, I, I find it's interesting. We, we hear, we've been hearing a lot of talk uh, from various quarters about how things that start happening now will be with us going forward, regardless of how this all plays out as far as the pandemic is concerned. And I think one of them is going to be video conferencing within NFL teams. You think about a player who is in a, a state of rehab from an injury the year before, they can still attend meetings. You know, they can still be watching, you know, be part of that conversation while the other players are meeting in reality as opposed right. to virtually. So I think teams are going to remember this tool as something that they can use going forward when players are not available for one reason or another. And it does sometimes happen. You know, oftentimes in Kelsey's case, he was rehabbing in the building. So it was just a question of going to the meeting after he was finished with his rehab. But there are cases where that's not true. And this might be real useful. Yeah, there are cases too where players will go to specialists. And you make an Mm -hmm. interesting point where they go to the best in the country to rehab their particular injury. And this will kind of keep them in the mix. So you're right. I, I think this will definitely change. I think the pandemic's going to change a lot of things. I, you know, you take it away from the Chiefs where I think a lot of companies who are, are digital, like you're seeing with Twitter the other day, who said, you don't ever have to come back to the office as long as you're getting your work done. Mm-hmm. Optional office? And then you look at like small businesses who aren't retail and now they don't suddenly have to spend any money on like real estate and so, just like it's shaping the average person, the NFL looks at it and says, wow, draft weekend went great. After the draft, we were able to have dinner with our family. We were able to spend Sunday with our kids. Why can't we do this every year? Now, Devil's Advocate tells you, well, let's see those 15 teams in the first round who drafted a bust and say, well, I was not with my board and stuff like that. So I think you have to wait for that to sort of play out. But at the same time, no doubt will this impact other teams because now 
Andy Reid or Sean Payton, I guess some of these old school guys could say, all right, well, we had a really good year. Rather than showing up in Kansas City, let's do video conferences. Or you could cancel the last week of OTAs and say, you know what? We really worked hard this offseason. We're going to do a couple check-ins next week, our team Zooms. And even when things are normal, you could still get something accomplished and it's more relaxing for the players. And that might help sometimes. I, I think Andy Reid believes in that. A lot of times after the bye week, which he's so successful after he'll hunker down and prepare for the next team. But after that initial day, he says, get away from football and stay out of trouble and then come back to me. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Reed, when things normalize, who knows when that is, continues to use things that he learned from Mm -hmm. this quarantine period. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating throughout our whole society, but I think it's going to be particularly fascinating in the NFL. Want to go back to the defensive side of the football as we close down the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show for today. And that goes back to Frank Clark talking about a lot of these core guys being back. Number one, you know, like when you get a chance to get your guys back, you know, the core, like you said, or your team, you know, that's, that's dope. Because the one thing you're always going to see is your boys, you know, the same team you, you went through it with, you know, y'all did, y'all, 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 y'all did that camp, that camp. You know, once you go through that camp together, it's like, man, all right, we solid, we dogs, you know. But, um, you know, so, but you, you, you love to see the guys who go off and get have success and they, and they, and they go off and get what they deserve as far as contracts and, you know, they um they do things that way. And that's that's like it's half off to those guys. And it's a lot of guys. We lost one from our room, one of our main guys, the main Ox, you know, that was my dog, man. He um he contributes so much. You know, at a time I feel like it's kinda unique, you know, because you we might not have thought about it now, but the time where he started contributing was a time where you got myself, I'm hurting bad, not really saying nothing but fighting through it every game. But then you got um Alex Okafor, he's he's hurting, he's out. You know, at the time, so he, he he stepped in and he was doing his part and contributing big. He was playing better football than me at the time. So it was like, man, like, he, he picking up a lot of slack for guys, like, honestly, as a, as a backup defensive end, then eventually became a starter once A.O., um, you know, got hurt. But then um, just the things he was doing, man, it was like, so it's hard. But it's also, like, like you said, man, we get our group back, and it's like, man, I look forward to, you know, going back into – going back to the um, – to the spot and just seeing all my guys in that locker room, you know, us being able to reminisce and talk about it and then be able to have the desire to want more. And we all understand, like, we've been there. So it ain't like you got this, uh, uh, you know, 50% of your team got shipped off or this ha- this happened or the coaching staff, this happened. It's like, no, everybody's back, you know, and it's like, like you said, the foundation is back and um, we get to revisit it, you know, like I said, have a short memory about it and then get back on the road because if, if that's the goal, you know, to get back on the road and keep it going and, um, you know, then, then, then we all go be all right. This made me double take a little bit for a, a big reason. And that was Emmanuel Agba. Are we underrating Emmanuel Agba leaving the Chiefs given the depth he provided? And then I reviewed the Chiefs offseason in my head and said, well, they were up against the cap. They have some candidates. You got Alex Okafor coming back to begin with. Tano Passanio seemed to have an impact at the end of last year. You draft Mike Dana. You bring in a lottery ticket in Taco Charlton. Tim Ward should suddenly be healthy. You have Breland Speaks. There's some other names there. And so I think the Chiefs are trying to fill that void of Emmanuel Agba through them. But there's no guarantees there. I mean, that's a lot of names. And and competition, I think, breeds the best possible option for you. But I wonder, 
I wonder about Agba, and I, I, I don't think I did before. Uh, Clark said this yesterday. Yeah, I, and and I, Agba did really do a terrific job for the Chiefs. Unexpectedly, nobody expected much from him. I think most of us, well, I think I would be in this group actually, expected more out of Okafor than I did of Agba. Me too. Yep. And um, uh, so I was really pleasantly surprised by the contributions we got from Agba. And, you know, I, I'm going to agree with you that he was probably a, a bigger loss than we probably uh, should have realized when he left in free agency. But still, all things considered, the Chiefs came out looking really well right. uh, with their offseason departures. So I, I find no reason to complain. I like Kendall Fuller a ton. He, he, he made too much money with the Washington Redskins. Uh, the Chiefs could not consider that deal. And then right. you talk about Stefan Wisniewski, Reggie Ragland, Emmanuel Ogba, uh, you have Wisniewski to the Steelers, Raglan to the Lions, Agba to the Dolphins. Are they losses that have an impact? Sure. Is the right. impact big? I don't know. I, I, I just think it's been incredible to see just how many of the core, core guys where mm-hmm. you need a, the fact that the Chiefs were able to bring them back. It's just in, incredible. And it's just so important now when there is so much uncertainty. You know, the NFL, we didn't talk about this in the news, but this is NFL news. They pushed back no facilities opening till the end of May. How, how, how many updates are we going to get where they say, nope, it's going to be later. Nope, it's going to be later. Nope, it's going to be mm-hmm. later. I mean, that could yeah. extend into training camp. What if there is one or two preseason games? What if there is a two-week training camp? Who's going to be in the best possible scenario? It's the best teams from last year mm-hmm. who were able to keep their players and I'm going to accidentally run into this, run back a lot of the <laughs> concepts that they were able to do last year. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Clark hit on that a little bit. Yeah. And the chiefs have consistently denied that they did that on purpose that, that, you know, they said that they've said that they came into the off season with this idea long before any of this stuff happened. And that might be right, but there can't be any doubt that see this is when i wish i had my notion of really brett really yeah, <laughs> yeah. came but up with this a long time ago yeah they can't there's there really can't be any doubt that they are positioned extraordinarily well to come back and compete at the highest level possible especially early in the season i i just don't see how they can avoid being uh, hotter than any other team in the league, right, to start the season, unless there's such a crushingly bad attitude on the team. But it sure doesn't seem like it to me. So That is the sweet and sultry sounds of our deputy editor, our 70s movie buff, John Dixon. <laughs> that wraps up our Arrowhead Pride Editor's show. If you would be so kind, please leave us a rating and review. Make it five stars because that's what we like. Keep it locked in on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network as we're going to be putting out more content. As you've seen now, we have the laboratory two days a week. We have the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show two days a week. We'll have additional content as it becomes, I guess, newsworthy and available. So just subscribe, tell your friends about it who are Chiefs fans. Everything helps. So we appreciate that. Also, keep it locked in at ArrowheadPride.com. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of Arrowhead Pride. Thank you for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show.